Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and also Impact Wrestling. Before today is over with, I'm going to be giving you my predictions for uh, Battle of the Belts, AEW Battle of the Belts to be more specific, and also Impact Wrestling's Hard to Kill pay-per-view before today's episode is done with. Now, before we get to Monday Night Raw uh, Highlights of the Week, I did mention in this show on NXT, you'll hear me talk about it, about a couple of releases. There was one more release I forgot to mention. I forgot to mention Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe has also been released by WWE, and that will also play into factor what I said about everything that was going down with NXT whenever I get to my NXT portion. But with that, let's start off with Monday Night Raw. Before I start with the highlights of Monday Night Raw, we come to find out on Raw that the Street Profits... Both the Mysterios, Rey Mysterio and his son Dominic, Austin Theory, and Johnny Knoxville of Jackass uh, Television fame will be participating in the Royal Rumble this upcoming in January. So this was a announcement that happened on Raw, so I just want to get that completely out of the way before I start talking about the highlights. Now, with that being said, Raw opens up with the lights going dark, and I mean completely dark, and then when the lights pop right back on, standing in the middle of the ring, is Paul Heyman. He doesn't look sad. He doesn't look gloomy. No, he looks excited. Fresh cut face, still with the nice little uh, bald eagle in the head. What I mean by that, the eagle's nest, basically bald in the front, bald on top, hair on the round, and looks sharp and cleaned up, and he's wearing a suit. He does his whole advocate speech and spiel, meaning that he is back with the Beast Incarnate, the new WWE champion, Brock Lesnar. And I said new WWE's champion because if you haven't listened to my day one review, let me break this down to you. At day one, it was supposed to be Brock Lesnar going against Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. They were building this up for weeks. However, that Saturday at 6 o'clock, two hours before the pay-per-view started, Roman Reigns tested for COVID and he had COVID. So he sent out a tweet letting the fans know that he would like to have participated in the events tonight, but he has COVID. So, WWE decided to put Brock Lesnar in the WWE Championship match, which was a fatal four-way, and decided to make it a fatal five-way, including Brock's name. In the end, Brock ended up F5-ing Big E and being the new WWE Champion. So, Brock is now the new WWE Champion. Brock comes out, he takes a step, he throws the steps in the ring, he gets on it like an Olympic podium, and he just stands there with his WWE Championship, and he has the fans cheering for him because the fans are happy to see Brock. And now you have Brock getting the mic, and he's talking. He does Roman Reigns' whole spiel by saying that he wants the fans to acknowledge him. But before he does that, he does give a shout-out to Roman Reigns and hoping that he does get better. But he does call himself the real world champion. So this is telling you that their business isn't far from done. He has the... Before he hands the mic to Paul, he tells Paul that he wants to thank him for giving him free agency and for getting him in the match at day one, and he just thanks Paul Heyman. They share a hug, and then he hands the mic over to Paul. Paul talks about how the main event tonight is supposed to be for a number one contender shot at Brock Lesnar for the Royal Rumble for his WWE Championship. And he runs down the competitors. He talks about Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens being a package deal because when you see one, you see the other. And he has some disparaging uh, comments about both of them. He talks about 
Bobby Lashley in the highest of regards. He talks about how day one, Bobby Lashley was able to get the jump on Brock Lesnar three separate times. And he even mentioned that he had Brock Lesnar in the hurt lock. And Paul said, I told Brock personally, he didn't think that Brock was going to get out of that. But he said the one thing that made all those three attacks different from every other thing is Brock Lesnar wasn't prepared for Bobby Lashley to attack him because Brock Lesnar was attacked from behind by Bobby Lashley. He never attacked Brock Lesnar up front. Then he goes to Big E and talks about how Big E was a credible WWE champion. He's a grateful WWE champion. He did everything to the best of his ability. He was a great representation for the WWE as a company, and he has no disparaging words against Big E. He says that he would be happy that if Big E wins the Fatal 4-Way match to see Brock Lesnar going against Big E for the WWE Championship. He does say that Brock would beat Big E, but there's no shame in that because Brock is Brock and is no shame to lose to somebody like Brock. Now, before Paul gets off the mic, Paul has to throw in a little jab to Roman Reigns, and I'm about to play that clip right now. Because I understand there's a certain tribal chief who's a little vulnerable without his special counsel nowadays. It's a historical fact. I'm going to prove it to you. One week without me as special counsel, Roman Reigns already has COVID. Yeah, you can get over the Rona, but karma can be really bitchy. Now, with Paul saying that type of slant and type of insult towards the tribal chief, Roman Reigns himself, you know that Paul still feel bitter about getting fired and getting Superman punched and basically getting embarrassed in front of the world for uh, basically his plan going awry and letting people know that he worked with Paul, not Paul, but Brock Lesnar. So Paul had to throw that little insult there. And we do know that Brock Lesnar will be going to SmackDown to confront Roman Reigns. And yes, it was cleared by Thursday that Roman Reigns was medically cleared. So he was able to show up on Friday. So that's that for that segment. Now we go to our first match of the night. It's a tag team match. RK Bro going against American Alpha. American Alpha wins the match by pinfall when Otis was able to hold on to Riddle in midair after Riddle tried to hit an RKO on him, then transformed that into a world's strongest slam and slammed Riddle for the win. It was a solid tag team match. It was basically keep away. Ray Dior couldn't get in the match that much. Chad Gable and Otis basically had to take make sure that Orton couldn't get in and Riddle was basically isolated in the match by himself, so, and whenever Orton did get in, he was able to get a couple moves off, but quickly tagged in Riddle, so again, it was basically a game of keep away, and American Alpha wins the match, and we're looking like we're setting up for a Raw Tag Team title shot for American Alpha to get against our Raw Tag Team champions, RK-Bro, somewhere down the line. After this, we go and have our 24-7 championship match, but it's a mixed tag team match. It's a team of Dana Brooks and Reggie going against Akira Tozawa and Tamina. Dana Brooks and Reggie win the match by pinfall after Tamina gets hit in the face by Akira Tozawa whenever Akira was trying to big boot Reggie, but Reggie ducked and Tamina's face was right there and Akira big booted Tamina in the face. Uh, Tamina happens to look at Akira Tozawa, hits him with a forearm and forearms uh, Tozawa and Tozawa gets knocked unconscious. Reggie then hits his patented flip senton onto Tazawa to win the match by pinfall. That means Dana Brooks is still the 24-7 champion. This match was a filler match. It is what it is. After this, we get our Becky Lynch in-ring promo, and Becky talks about how she's an unbeatable champion. Uh, Becky calls herself a piece of work, a work of art, if you will, in that she makes you feel. She makes you care about 
things whenever she's in the match. She makes you care about the match. Um, she goes into saying how Liv Morgan broke her promise to beat Becky for the World Championship, but she didn't. So now Liv comes out and talks about how she left it all in the match with Becky at day one. Then you get Bianca Belair coming out. Bianca mentions how now that she's handled Dewdrop and she let other people get a shot at the Women's Championship, now she's time for her to get back into the mix. Liv Morgan tells Bianca that her and Becky are kind of in the middle of something, so Bianca's going to have to wait. Bianca lives Liv know that her and Becky have had a long-standing beef for a minute now, so Liv's going to have to just take a chill pill on this. Becky tells the both of them that, hey, you both need to figure this out and let me know, okay? Becky stands there, and she tells both of them to get out of her ring. Liv and Bianca look at each other. They kick Becky in the gut. Uh, throw her out of the ring, and now you get Liv Morgan and Bianca Belair staring off against one another. Bianca gets the best of it. I mean, Liv was able to throw in a couple hits here and there, but Bianca was able to get the best of it, and they even got Liv Morgan in position for the KOD, but Becky Lynch comes back into the ring, attacks Bianca from behind, sending Liv to the outside of the ring, and then hitting the manhandle slam on Bianca, holding up the Raw Women's Championship, then leaving the ring. After this, now it's time for the Women's Tag Team Championship match between Nikki A.S.H. and Rhea Ripley going against the champions, Carmella and Queen Selena. Queen Selena and Carmella win the match by pinfall when Selena was able to roll up Nikki to win the match to retain their Tag Team Championships. Again, another filler match. This didn't do nothing. The only thing they did in this match was basically push the narrative that Nikki is basically dead weight to Rhea Ripley, and one day Rhea's going to snap on Nikki. That's the only thing it's pushing. After this, we get a tag team match between the Street Profits going against Commander Aziz and Apollo Crews. Street Profits win the match by pinfall when Angelo Dawkins was able to hit his spine buster on Apollo. Then Montez Ford hit his patented frog splash for the win. And Montez Ford gets a lot of height on his frog splash. I would have loved to see Montez Ford's frog splash going against a prime RVD frog splash to see just who got as much Hang time in the year. That's all I want. That's all I wish I could see, but hey, that's neither here nor there. After this, it's time for the United States Championship match between Damian Priest and Dolph Ziggler. The condition for this, just like I said last week's, in last week's episode, somebody's going to make the stipulation that if Damian Priest either gets counted out or disqualified, he would lose his championship, and that's the condition for this match. If Priest gets counted out or disqualified, he will lose his United States Championship. Damian Priest won the match by pinfall when he caught Dolph Ziggler and hit him with the Reckoning to win the match. However, during the match, Bobby Roode would come out out of nowhere and push Damian Priest off the top turnbuckle, making Damian pop out Damian Priest's uh, snap side, basically his bipolar side. Uh, The Dirty Dogs tried to make Damian hit Dolph with the chair, but instead... Damien threw the chair into Bobby Roode's face, and then Dolph Ziggler tried to hit him with a super kick, but Damien was able to uh, catch him in mid-super kick lifting of the air and hit him with the reckoning. There you go. After this, we get the Miz and Maurice for an in-ring promo. They talk about how day one, Edge used his wife to win the match. Miz would go into a rant talking about what type of man will use his wife in certain scenarios, and the fans will start chanting, you. He would go into another scenario, like what type of man would use his wife as a shield that your fans would chant you. 
Miz was throwing up the pitch for the fans to knock it out of the park, and that's what the fans did on this one. So Miz played with the fans on this one. It got to a point that the Maurice told the Miz that if Beth Phoenix was here tonight, she would punch Beth in the face. And as soon as that sentence came out of Maurice's mouth, Beth Phoenix's music hits. Beth comes out. She stands on the uh, stage. And as soon as she stands there, Edge music hits and Edge comes out. They even do their own poses. You have uh, Beth taking a knee. Uh, in front of Edge as Edge hits his rock star pose and Beth hits her glamazon pose and fireworks hit on the entrance stage. I like that imagery. The imagery was fire. I don't care who came up with it. That was great. They get into the ring. Edge tells Miz that he didn't need Beth to beat Miz at day one. And as a matter of fact, it wasn't his idea. Beth said it was her idea and that she's happy that she showed up at day one. They get into a couple things. Edge ultimately says this. I can picture this on the marquee. At the Royal Rumble, Miz and Maurice going against the rated R superstar Edge and the Glamazon Beth Phoenix in a mixed tag team match. Miz goes into a whole diatribe giving off uh, Maurice's uh, list of accolades, longest reigning Divas champion, mother of Miz's kids, a producer, an executive on Miz and Mrs., Beth just tells Miz, listen, we just need a yes or no. Miz says, we accept. Maurice looks at Miz and looks at him and asks him, what are you doing? I'm not, I'm not trying to do this. Beth makes Maurice flinch and Maurice falls down to the ground. The same thing that Edge did to Miz. So now we got our mixed tag team match of Beth and Edge going against uh, Maurice and Miz at the Royal Rumble. Again, I wished it would have been Seth and Becky going against Edge and Beth a couple months ago, but we might be getting there. We may not. Whoever knows if they missed the boat on that. I'm completely going to be like, yeah, they missed the boat. That's when they could have done. Anyway, next match. Aiden Styles going against Omos. Easy one. Omos wins the match by pinfall when Omos hits a double-handed chokeslam on AJ. AJ did try in this match his best to avoid Omos. And whenever he got to Omos, he would try to use his speed like to hit him, punch him, do anything he can. But in the end, Omos is a tall giant, and a giant like Omos is going to squash AJ. So, that's it for that. Now it's time for the main event. Fatal 4-Way match. Winner faces Brock at the Royal Rumble for the WWE Championship. Kevin Owens going against Bobby Lashley, going against Seth Rollins, going against Big E. This match was wild. They started off in the ring, and Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins worked as a team throughout this whole match. And as a certain cases... They would try to help out each other to get the win and not try to disturb the other. As in other Fatal 4-Way matches, you see two people work together and one person pins somebody, the other person would try to break up that pin. That didn't happen here. Whenever Seth would go for a pin, Kevin Owens played guard to make sure the other person wouldn't try to disrupt that pin. Vice versa. Kevin Owens went for a pin. Seth Rollins tried to play guard because they came up with a plan that whoever wins goes against Brock. The other one would cheat to help the other person win and win the championship from Brock. And then at Mania, those two will go against each other. So that was the plan. That plan didn't work. Uh, this match started in the ring. Then it went into the crowd. Then it even went up to the concession stands. You had people uh, getting smashed through tables. You had people getting smashed through announce tables. You had people getting hit with steel steps. I mean, this match was straight up... Uh, chaotic but in the end Bobby Lashley will win the match by pinfall when he would hit 
every single person in the match with a spear. And lastly, he speared Kevin Owens to win the uh, match by pinfall. Which makes it official. At Royal Rumble, it will be Brock Lesnar going against Bobby Lashley for the WWE Championship. And this is the match we've all been waiting for. But now, at the Royal Rumble, we will finally be getting Bobby going against Brock. And I, for one, can't wait to see it. And that's your Raw Highlights of the Week. Now on to NXT. NXT's edition, well, this week's NXT edition is New Year's Evil. And again, before I get off with the highlights, they announced that well, during this episode, they announced that in the following, in the upcoming weeks, two weeks from now, the men will be having their Dusty Tag Team Classic tournament beginning, and the teams that are so far in the Classic are Harlan and Joe Gacy as one team, the Creed Brothers, and MSK. While the women, their Dusty Tag Team Classic will start off in February. As well as, Electra Lopez announced that next week it will be Zion Quinn going against Santos Escobar, and the winner of that match will get her. So, that gives up some pretty uh, damning implications, because I'm not sure if Electra Lopez is going to help out Zion or help out Santos. The story seems like she's going to help out Zion Quinn, because her love is going to conquer over the little uh, agreement that she has with Legado del Fantasma, but we will have to see what happens next week. Also, Pete Dunne will be going against Tony D'Angelo next week on NXT. Just want to throw that out there before I get to the highlights here. Now, first match of the night is a title versus title unification match. The North American champion Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams by his side going against the Cruiserweight champion Roderick Strong with the whole diamond mine at ringside. Carmelo Hayes beat Roderick Strong by pinfall to win the match and retain his North American champion, but also unify the uh, Cruiserweight Championship with the North American Championship. So the only championship that will stay in NXT is the North American Championship. Uh, He does this after he delivers his signature leg drop to the back of the head of Roderick Strong to win the match and pin him. And then I must say, this was a nice, fast-paced, hard-hitting match to start off the night. Even at one point, you see where Kamala Hayes is, like, trying to catch his breath. You see the chop mark, like, the red mark that he has on his chest after all the brutal chops that Roderick Strong was giving through him throughout the match. And even at one point in the match, you saw both of the men on the top turnbuckle, and you see either Roddy give Carmelo Hayes an X-plex, and that's basically flipping Carmelo Hayes uh, in midair. Or Carmelo Hayes did some damning move to Roderick Strong. Either way, it looked bizarre and it looked horrifying the way Carmelo Hayes dropped and back hit the ring. Either way, Carmelo Hayes was ever able to outbeat that and win the match. And let me say this right now. Carmelo Hayes' signature slogan of... Because when Melo shoots, he don't miss. That slogan rings true. Melo came into NXT in July, like the last part of NXT Black and Gold. And ever since NXT, well, 2.0, the colorful era of NXT, he has been dominating. He became the NXT North American Champion by cashing it in on beating Swerve after Swerve had his match with Santos. He led the NXT 2.0 guys, or the leaders of the new school, or the new era, if you will, to a win at War Games. Every time he said that he will defend his North American Championship, in which he has defending it without a problem, he's always came out as the victor. And he even told Roderick Strong last week that he will put him on a t-shirt. He did that whenever he walked out 
as the North American champion coming into this match. He wore a t-shirt with Roderick Strong's face and whole imagery on it with the pearly gates behind him with doves. You know those type of shirts that we've seen. And he had the reign from Roderick Strong's reign as Cruiserweight champion to the night tonight that he lost the Cruiserweight title to Carmelo Hayes. Carmelo Hayes has done everything he said he was going to do. So definitely when Carmelo Hayes shoots, he doesn't miss. And tonight was basically another example of why Carmelo Hayes is truly one of the guys that you should be looking out for in the future of WWE as long as they don't screw him up. Anyway, with that being said, after this, well, also, congratulations to Carmelo Hayes for being now a unifying double champion. Now, on to the next segment, AJ Styles and Grayson Waller. AJ comes out there, he tells the fans that he has some regrets in his career, and one of his regrets is not coming to NXT, because when AJ came out there, the fans were chanting AJ Styles. He was feeling the passion that the fans had, and he talked about how that passion is a passion that everybody, whether you are a wrestler, a fan, a person working backstage, is the type of passion that makes NXT the place to be and what makes this place special. He then switches over and talks about how there's somebody that's trying to take the passion away from him, but he's not going to allow that person to take it away from him, and he's talking about Grayson Waller. As soon as he says this, Waller comes out, and he tells AJ Styles that AJ is telling these people a bunch of lies, and he's telling them garbage. He does not find this place special. He doesn't believe AJ is telling the truth about anything, and he goes into... AJ losing against Omos on Monday Night Raw. He tells AJ that the reason that he lost to Omos is because he was thinking about Grayson Waller all throughout that match. AJ tells Waller that, you know what? You're right. I'm not 100% tonight. I'm probably about 80%. But listen here. I haven't had a one-on-one match ever in NXT, so why don't we do this? You get in the ring. I'll get a referee out here. We have our match tonight. Matter of fact, we'll have it right now. Waller gets in. He tells AJ Styles no. And he says, tonight, the main event in the spotlight is not on us. I want it where the spotlight's all going to be on us and it's going to be singular on us. So he says, next week, in the main event of NXT, you versus me. AJ accepts. Waller tries to cheap shot AJ, but AJ sees this because he's a veteran and ducks and was able to hit Waller first. AJ and Waller get into a brawl. AJ gets the better of it, and he even gets to the point that he's about to hit his phenomenal forearm, but Waller was able to duck out of the ring and then walk to the back, so he gets scheduled. AJ Styles versus Grayson Waller in the main event of NXT next week. After this, we get our six-man tag team matchup, MSK in the one half of the Raw Tag Team Champions, Riddle, going against Imperium, the NXT Tag Team Champions, and also their ring general, Walter. MSK wins the match by pinfall when MSK was able to hit their tag finisher, which is the assisted blockbuster on Fabian Eichner, and then Riddle was able to hit his floating bro on him, and then Riddle was able to hit an RKO on Marcel Bartel to win the match. Again, Walter coming to NXT for this match, it was a solid look, it was a great look for NXT, and MSK does better in this era of NXT than they did in the lasting of the black and gold era of NXT. It seems that this colorful era of MSK, this colorful era of NXT is what was needed for MSK. Because now they're getting cheered. They're not getting booed. They're actually getting loved upon by the fans. While in the black and gold era, yeah, when they first came in, they were getting cheered. But they somehow started getting booed, and I never understood it. But now since this whole colorful era has started, they've been getting cheered. And I'm 
glad to see it because those two guys are nothing but happy-go-lucky guys. They're not hateful individuals, and just to see them get booed was always weird to me. But anyway, this match was a good match. I'd rather you uh, go and see it if you can. This match was a great match to look at and just to watch uh, Walter. If you have never seen Walter before, this is a great uh, opening match for you to know who Walter is. After this, we get our triple threat match for the NXT Women's Championship between Cora Jade, Raquel Gonzalez, and the champion Mandy Rose. Mandy wins the match by pinfall when Cora Jade pushes Raquel Gonzalez out of the ring and looked at Mandy Rose, who was laid out in the middle of the ring after Raquel already Chicota bombed her. Cora Jade crawled over to Mandy, and as Mandy was getting to her feet, Cora tried to pin her with a roll-up, as she did previous times before, but Mandy was able to reverse this and pin Cora Jade and win the match. This was a solid triple threat match between the three ladies. Again, this isn't your previous era of NXT where all three ladies were high-skilled uh, competitors in the ring. No, no, no. Raquel Gonzalez is a powerhouse. We understand this. Cora Jade is supposed to be the speedy uh, participant in the ring. We understand this. Mandy Rose is supposed to be the cowardly heel, which she played to perfection in this match. So every piece worked like they were supposed to work in this match. Again, it was a solid match. It was not your spectacular past era of NXT. You got to know what you're looking at when you see it. And once you do, you'll be able to enjoy it. And this was an enjoyable uh, triple threat match. After this, we get a Andre Chase in-ring promo. It's basically just to fill up time to kill time. So the next match that we do get will be NXT Championship, uh, Tommaso Ciampa versus Braun Breaker. And in that, we have Braun Breaker winning the match by submission to become the new NXT champion. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about Braun's entrance. Braun's entrance had him coming out in chains on his arms and like chains were holding him back. And in the background, you saw the old black and gold NXT logo. Braun broke the chains and it shattered the NXT black and gold uh, behind him. And it showed his name, Braun Breaker, in all colorful uh, neon colors. Then in front of him, as he's jumping up and doing his whole puffing up and down, you see a big golden X and he kicks it down the middle to break it. So he's basically saying that he's kicking out the old NXT and ushering the new era of NXT, this whole new era 2.0 colorful NXT. This is going to be the guy leading the charge. And he does that tonight whenever he beats Tommaso Ciampa for the NXT Championship. When he hits his father's bulldog off the second turnbuckle, paying an homage to his father, Rick Steiner. And then he locks in the Steiner recliner. And he pays an homage to his uncle, Scott Steiner. And Tommaso Ciampa has no other choice but to tap out in this move. This match was a solid match. It was not as... Let me play like this. Both... Their Halloween Havoc in this match showed me something. First match in Halloween Havoc, it was basically the fill-out process to see how Braun Breaker will work in the main event, to see if he's good enough and see how we're going to tell this story between Tommaso and Braun Breaker, especially with him slipping off the top, slipping off the second turnbuckle. This really played into a part in this second match because the second match, Braun Breaker went and he just tried to beat up on um, Tommaso as Tommaso's trying to play the veteran role of making Braun Breaker just slip up and outthink himself. And at one point, Braun Breaker does when he gets back to the second turnbuckle earlier in the match and he looks like he wants to jump off it, but he realizes that he made a 
era last time when the refaces Tommaso had Halloween Havoc and slipped off of it. So he has to quickly think himself in that position, but that allowed Tommaso to run over and throw him off and throw him outside of the ring. And that kind of put uh, Braun at a disadvantage in this match. But again, this match was nothing but veteran going against rookie. And this time the rookie was able to outprevail the veteran in this match. So Braun was able to, really able to make Tommaso tap out. And whenever the referee was about to hand Braun the championship after the match, Braun looked over to Tommaso as Tommaso sitting by the bottom rope. And you see the camera look over to Tommaso. And Tommaso looks at Braun and he just gives him the head nod of approval. And Braun hooks up and grabs the North American, not the North American, God, the NXT championship and lifts it up above his head. So now we have a new guy ushering a new era of NXT of Braun Breaker as a new NXT champion. And also this episode kind of really solidified the depth of the old school NXT because in this night, we had two of the last guys that really hold up the NXT black and gold banner losing their championships to both of the new hot guys. Roderick Strong, who was in the Undisputed Era, who was holding the Cruiserweight Championship, he lost to Carmelo Hayes, who was one of the hot, fresh, young guys that NXT is really heavily pushing. And then we got Tommaso Ciampa, the old, grumpy uh, guy who was really, really one of the true last, last black and gold guys. Um losing to Braun Breaker for the, losing his NXT championship to Braun Breaker. And Braun is the hot new guy that they're going to be pushing on the NXT uh, channel. Also, let me say this right now. Wednesday, it was reported that NXT had released, and I'm going to give you the names of these people. The road dog, Jesse James, he was a backstage um, creative guy. He was one of the writers back there. William Regal, who was helping out talent. A guy named Ace Steel, Chris Guy, he was a WWE coach, and he's also the original trainer of CM Punk. They also released a guy that helped out, was a former um, manager of the Great Khali, uh, Dave Cooper. Another guy named Ryan Katz, who was an NXT creative producer, uh, a legendary WWE official, Scott Armstrong, a former writer, uh, George Cornroll, I believe. Uh, Timothy Thatcher, Danny Birch, uh, WWE coach, Kathy uh, Carino, a.k.a. Allison Danger, and Diamond Mind's own Hatchiman. So NXT was letting go of all these people. And what I've basically gathered, because I looked online, and what I've heard from every like source online is that they're getting rid of these people because these are Triple H's hires. And... They want to basically start off NXT brand new, like literally brand new. So again, New Year's Evil truly was the death of NXT, the last like defining thing of NXT of black and gold era. And we'll just have to see what happens next week on NXT. I'm not sure. And if it the, let me say this, if the statement is true that they are just releasing people that Triple H hired they are just being nothing but petty individuals. It doesn't make the product better. If anything, it dampens the product and it cheapens the product because William Regal was a intricate, was a intricate piece of the puzzle for NXT. He helped out wrestlers in the back. Johnny Gargano even put out a tweet that all these, and he put in quotations, indie guys that you saw on your television wouldn't have gotten the shot without William Regal. So 
in my eyes, he's talking about an Andrade Cien Almas, an Aleister Black, Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, um, the Undisputed Era type of guy. So, I mean, those are the type of guys I'm thinking that he's talking about whenever he says indie guys, because we know when you, you say indie, you're talking about, like, the high-profile name indie guys. So, again, New Year's Evil was truly a complete shift for the NXT, like, thing much more bigger than on screen but also behind the scenes but we'll have to see what happens next week on nxt let's see if they're going to mention hatchman being there one week and gone the next more or less probably not and that is the end of your nxt wrestling highlights of the week now to aew dynamite aew dynamite starts off again hot and spanking they start off with the AEW World Championship match again between Brian Danielson and Hangman Adam Page. And this time, they have judges for if this match goes to the 60-minute time limit. And the judges for this match are Paul White, Jerry Lynn, and Mark Henry. And they will be used to decide who will be the winner of the match. That wasn't needed because this match only took half of the time. This match was 34 minutes, I believe. And it was Hangman beating Brian Danielson to retain the AEW World Championship by pinfall when Hangman hits a back suplex on Brian and then follows it up with a bulk shot lariat to win the match. This match was completely different than their first match because in their first match, their first match was their filling out process to see how those two would gel. Hangman was trying to see what Brian can do and Brian was truly trying to see what Hangman can do. So that's why the match lasted the 60 minutes. This match... It wasn't like that at all. This match was hot and heavy. Hangman was trying to decapitate Brian as quick as possible, but Brian was trying to play the cat and mouse games and basically gas Adam Page out, which he did at certain points. And even at one point, he was able to bust open Adam Page. And then, like, what, 10 minutes or probably eight minutes later, you had Adam Page busting open Brian Danielson. So both of these men are heavily bleeding throughout this whole match and they're just beating the absolute piss out of each other so i can't truly and i mean this without sincere with sincerity i want you to really look at this match find it on youtube i don't care where you gotta find it daily motion i don't care find brian danielson going against adam page from the january the 5th of 2022 Find it. This is definitely going down, and I already write it down as one of the matches of the year so far for me already. Anyway, after this, we get MJF going against Captain Sean Dean. But that match truly never happens because as soon as the bell rings, who runs down to the ring? No other than CM Punk. As soon as CM Punk jumps in the ring, MJF is already out of the ring and runs up the entrance ramp. You have the stare down between Punk and MJF. And Punk is just staring at MJF, and MJF is yelling something at Punk. Punk then looks over to Sean Dean and kicks him in the gut, and then delivers a GTS to Sean Dean. And the referee rings the bell. And as soon as she rings the bell, the announcer announces that Sean Dean has won the match by disqualification. So this means that MJF starts off with the year with a record of 0-1. and one. AEW has this thing that once the beginning of the new year happens, whatever your previous record was, it doesn't matter no more. You start off with a 0-0 situation. So MGF is now entering the new year with a 0-1. MGF gets on the mic, and he's so furious. He tells Punk that, yo, you told the whole world last week that you were done with me, but somehow you're back out here trying to get at me. 
MJF tells Punk Point Blake, yo, I'm the guy who gives you that edge. I'm the guy that gives you that chip on your shoulder. Without me, you are soft. And that ever since you've been in AEW, you have sold these fans and Tony Khan a bill of goods. And that you're basically not that great as who you think you are. You're not the savior that these fans are clamoring for. I'm the savior that the fans are clamoring for. MJF even tells Punk that, yo, you keep on getting all upset about me mentioning myself with Roddy Piper. Why are you upset with that? Are you upset with that? Because the last time I checked, unlike you, Piper was actually talented enough to main event a WrestleMania. And by the way, if I'm not starting to be shown the proper respect around here, maybe I'll main event a Mania too. If you think the grass is so green around the other side, be my guest. Go ahead, leave. Main event night four of a buy one, get one free extravaganza, and then get released faster than you last in the sack. When you come back, I'll still be here, and that ass ticket will be waiting for you. Now, with all that being said, do I find and figure out that MJF is going to leave AEW even in 2024? Not at all. I think MJF has seen the writing on the wall for WWE that if you go there, you have a good, highly chance of not being the one, not being the guy. There's only a slim chance, a slim pickings of guys that WWE does not bother at all. And I think MJF is going to be one that they're going to try to put their hands all over. And MJF is not going to be able to be this dickhead the way that he's able to be a dickhead on AEW. So that's the reason why I already know he's not going to WWE in the year 2024. Anyway, um, MJF does let Punk know that you will not be facing me next week, but instead you will be facing Wardlow. And that's the end of this segment. Again, a nice, fun, inciting segment between Punk and MJF. It's always going to be fun whenever you get Punk and MJF against one another on the mic. One day we will get that match between those two, but right now I am enjoying their back and forth on the stick, if you will. Anyway, after this, we get Chris Jericho for his in-ring promo, and he hasn't been on TBS for 20 years. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, this is AEW Dynamite's first episode on TBS, so there you go with that. Um, Chris Jericho has an in-ring promo, and he talks about why he came out last week to save Proud and Powerful. He mentioned that he got took out by 2.0 a couple weeks ago, and he wanted to get revenge on them. Now, professional wrestling terms, you should know what was about to happen next. 2.0 decides to come out. And in wrestling terms, whenever you always mention somebody's name in your promo, you know they're destined to come out. So that's what happens. Just wanted to let you guys know that for future references. 2.0 comes out, and they tell Christian Jericho that he got a taste of what 2.0 can do with a steel chair. Jericho calls them Terrence and Phillip. He starts calling them one of them Boxhead and one of them Pinhead. 2.0 starts getting upset. They tell Jericho you can't call them that. Jericho decides to go outside the ring and then go under the ring to grab his signature baseball bat. Jericho's ready to hit one of them with the bat, but Daniel Garcia runs from the crowd, runs out from the crowd, if you will, and then runs into the ring and tries to sneak attack Chris Jericho, but Jericho was able to hit Daniel Garcia in the gut with the bat first. 2.0 was then able to surround Jericho, started attacking him. Then Daniel Garcia was able to join in. So now it's a three-on-one attack, and they're able to beat up on Jericho for about a minute. And then Proud and Powerful and Eddie Kingston run from the back, then run down to the ring and make 2.0 and Daniel Garcia run out of the ring and basically walk up the ramp to the back. And that's the end of this segment here. After this, it's time for another match. And it's Warlow's matchup against a guy named Antonio Zambarno. And Warlow has in his corner against Sean Spears. And obviously we know what's supposed to happen. 
Warlow's supposed to just beat the guy with one power bomb, not multiple. But before the match even begins, Antonio's on the outside of the ring, and the referee was talking to Warlow. And as the referee's talking to Warlow, Sean Spears grabs Antonio and hits him with a Death Valley driver on the outside of the ring. Sean Spears then throws Antonio into the ring. The referee sees Antonio in the ring. He sees Warlow. The referee decides to call for the bell for the match to officially begins. Sean Spears tells Warlow, just powerbomb one time on baby, and we pin him, and then we're out of here. Warlow powerbombs Antonio once, and then he looks at the fans, and the fans are chanting one more time, and Warlow decides to not just powerbomb him one more time, he powerbombs him four more other times, totaling up to five powerbombs that Antonio took, and Warlow pinned him after that. After the match, Sean Spears got in the ring and hit Antonio with a steel chair. Again, this is Sean Spears taking the spotlight and shine again away from Warlow. Warlow, again, doesn't seem to appreciate that, so Warlow is not too pleased. Anyway, after this, we get the TBS Championship matchup, the finals of the TBS tournament, if you will. Ruby Soho going against Jay Cargo with Smart Mark Sterling in her corner, and Jay Cargo wins the match by pinfall to become the first ever TBS champion whenever she was able to grab up Ruby Soho after Ruby tried to hit an armbar off the second turnbuckle, counter that, and they hit Jade off the second turnbuckle for the win. They showed Jade's daughter at ringside um, watching as her mother became the new, well, first ever TBS champion. It was a nice little uh, feel-good moment to see that. Let me give you a couple pointers here. I'm not a professional wrestler, but here's just something that I noticed. Jade is a Goldberg-type woman, okay? She is taller, and she's more physically dominant than any of her opponents in the AEW women's division. You think I'm lying? Look at everybody. Look at Britt Baker. Britt Baker wouldn't stand a chance against Jade in a power game. Ruby Soho, not a chance. Riho, not a chance. Uh, Layla Hirsch, not a chance. Um, Serena, not a chance. Serena Deed, not a chance. Well, Hikaru Shida, not a chance. The only women that would be able to stand a chance with Jade in the power uh game would be Nyla Rose or Chris Statlander. Everybody else, not happening. So what I need for AEW to do is to give Jade the Goldberg touch. Give her those fast matches. Let Jade show off her dominance. Let Jade still continue to work in like their nightmare factory to get herself polished up if you want her to be like a wrestler that wrestles a good 10 to 15 minute matchup jade jade is not one of those okay jade the wrestler is not one of those she has the physical appearance she has the star making quality she is a legit star but she is not a skilled wrestler like that it isn't happening it's not gonna happen i wish that it would happen so she would literally have all the tools but at this present time that just doesn't seem to be the case so i want jade to be able to run off and hold that tbs championship with dominance and basically show everybody that jade's not one to be messed with that's all i want just give jade the time to build up her wrestling uh ability at the Nightmare Family, but still have her on television and just have her basically run through people. That's it, until somebody beats her and then give her that allotted time to really work on her in-ring skills. That's it. Anyway, after this, we get Malachi Black going against Brian Pillman Jr., who has Julia Hart at his ringside, and Julia's wearing the eye patch. After weeks ago, Malachi sprayed her in the face with Black Mist, so now this is her first time on AEW television back. 
Uh, Malachi wins the match by pinfall when Brian Pillman tried to go for Air Pillman, which is basically a springboard clothesline. But Brian Pillman slipped off the top turn, well, top rope, and crashed on the mat. And then once he got up, Malachi Black hit his spinning heel kick to Pillman in the face for the win. After the match, Malachi left the ring, and as soon as he was walking up the ramp, Julia Hart got in the ring to look at Brian. Then Malachi turned around and saw this. He walked back into the ring and slowly started walking closely to Julia. But the Lucha Brothers came out, and they came out on the entrance ramp, and Malachi saw them. The lights went out, and I thought we were going to get, okay, Brody King was going to come out here to beat up on the Lucha Brothers. Nope. Once the lights popped right back on, Malachi Black was on the entrance ramp as the Lucha Brothers were now in the middle of the ring looking at Julia Hart and Brian Pillman Jr. making sure that they were okay. That was the end of this, so it tells me that we're going to have what, like, Malachi Black entering the tag team division now coming soon because this wouldn't, because AEW likes to lay out their stuff in front of their fans to let you know, okay, this is what's coming, be on the lookout for this. And it seems to me that we're going to have a few with the House of Black going against the Lucha Brothers. And whenever that happens, I'll be ready to see it. Anyway, now it's time for the main event. The AEW World Tag Team Championship matchup between the Jurassic Express with Christian Cage in their corner going against the champions, the Lucha Brothers with Alex Abrahantes in their corner. This was a good tag team match to main event AEW Dynamite. But in the end, Jurassic Express wins the match by pinfall to become the new AEW Tag Team Champions. When the Lucha Brothers would hit their tag finisher, the combo Fear Factor on Jungle Boy, but Jungle Boy would kick out of the pinfall, Alex decided to grab the um, timekeeper's table, clear it off, drag it close to the ring, and he wanted Penta and Phoenix to smash or slam one of their opponents into the table to basically eliminate him throughout the rest of the match. Christian runs over and runs Alex basically to the back and you don't see Christian until a couple minutes before the match ends. During this time, uh, Penta, well, no, not Penta, Fenty, Phoenix is in the ring, and Luchasaurus is on the ring apron. He runs close to Luchasaurus. Luchasaurus is able to hit Phoenix, and then Phoenix runs back over to him, and if Luchasaurus grabs him by the throat, choke slams him from the inside of the ring to the outside of the ring, and crashes uh, Phoenix through the table. And it looked like Luchasaurus broke his arm because, or at least looked like he broke his arm because whenever he rolled off that, he held his arm. And I was like, oh boy, he probably might have broke his arm. But nope, that didn't happen. He's all fine and dandy. The same thing with Phoenix. Uh, I didn't point this out and I didn't see this until after everything, like a day later. Uh, I looked online and I saw that people were talking about Phoenix's arm bent in another way. And I was like, okay, I didn't see this. And then when I saw the photo, I was like, okay, I see what they're talking about. Phoenix let the fans know Thursday morning that, hey, my arm isn't broken. I just have a dislocated uh, elbow. It's going to be fine. Well, he technically didn't say that. Uh, it was reported that he has a dislocated elbow, but Phoenix did tweet out that he's fine and okay. He's just got to get a couple more tests ran, but it's not a broken arm. He didn't break any bones. So thank God for that. So Phoenix is going to miss some time of action in the ring, obviously, but he didn't break no bones. So thank God for everything in that uh, situation. Anyway, back to the match. Uh, Penta grabs Jungle Boy, and he was going to hit the Made in Tokyo maneuver, but Jungle Boy was able to reverse out of that and roll him up for the win. And that is whenever the Jurassic Express won the tag team titles from the Lucha Brothers. 
After the match, Christian came into the ring with the tag team titles and handed them over to Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. And you just had them celebrating. You had Jungle Boy on the shoulders of Luchasaurus. And then you had the camera point over to the entrance stage. And you saw all the heel tag teams come out on this ramp. You had the Acclaimed. You had Red Dragon. You had 2.0. You had FTR. Private Party with Matt Hardy by their side. And you had the Gun Club with their father, Billy Gunn, with them as well. Looking at Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus just celebrating in the ring. They even flashed the cameras up to the box seats. And in the box seats, you had Chris Jericho, you had Malachi Black, and you had Proud and Powerful all just looking at basically what just happened. So this is telling me that we're going to have uh, a good tag team, like, spectacle coming at, coming soon. Because, again, AEW does have a plethora of tag teams. And this is one thing I do like about AEW. AEW lets you know, okay, where we're headed next. Let you as a fan know so you can be ready to see it, and you won't be surprised by nothing about what they're going to do, but they will shock you from time to time, but majority of the time, you'll know exactly the ride that they want to take you on, and majority of the time, the ride that they're taking you on is going to lead you to something great at the end of it, and I'm glad to see that they finally gave Jurassic Express that uh, championship win that was, I believe, in 2021 they should have had. Now, for me, I believe Proud and Powerful should have already had the tag team championships by now. I hope they're the next tag teams to win the tag team belts, but we'll just have to see what happens down the line. Anyway, that is the end of your AEW Dynamite highlights of the week. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with a six-woman tag team match, and it has Tasha Steeles, Lady Frost, and Chelsea Green on one team, going against the team of Jordan Grace, Rachel Ellering, and Rosemary. The team of Chelsea Green, Tasha Steeles, and Lady Frost wins the match when Chelsea was able to hit the Unprettier, which is basically a jumping version of the Unprettier, or better known as the Kill Switch for Christian Cage, on Rachel Ellering for the win. It was a solid six-woman tag team match. This is basically also, this is Impact's last episode before their pay-per-view Hard to Kill tonight. Um, The next thing that happened after this was a match between Jonah going against Jake something. Jonah won the match by pinfall when he jumped off the top turnbuckle and hit a big body splash onto Jake something for the win. This was basically two big men going against each other, and it was a solid, uh, Seven, eight-minute match. After the match, Josh Alexander came running down to the ring to try to get some measures of revenge on Jonah for Jonah basically body-splashing him a couple weeks ago. Uh, they brawled in the ring. Jonah was able to get Josh Alexander on the shoulders, and he was looking to hit a Samoan drop, but Josh was able to get off of Jonah's shoulder and then double-leg uh, Jonah and then apply the ankle lock on Jonah. But security comes running down to the ring to separate the two, and as they were doing this, Jonah was able to break away from security, get to Josh Alexander, and forearm him. And then he goes over and started clearing the ring of security, basically throwing security out of the ring, and then he scoop slams Josh, and then he hits a senton on Josh's chest. Jonah then starts tearing uh, Josh Alexander's shirt, exposing Josh's midsection being taped up his stomach ribs area. Jonah then turns around and splashes, uh, hits another senton on Josh Alexander's back this time. And then he goes outside the ring and then he goes underneath the ring to grab a table. Jonah puts the table inside the ring and now he grabs one side of the table as Josh Alexander grabs the other side. Jonah pushes Josh into a corner with that table and starts ramming the table right into Josh's midsection over and over and over again. 
and Josh lets go of the table as he's holding his ribs. Jonah sets up the table. He puts Josh on the table, and then he climbs to the top turnbuckle and hits another big body splash, but this time onto Josh on the table, breaking the table at the exact same time. This is basically trying to set up people to get by into the hard-to-kill pay-per-view tonight where Jonah will be going against Josh Alexander. And more than less, Josh probably is going to lose tonight because he's not 100% uh, healthy. After this, we had the much-anticipated debut of Marsha Slamovich going against uh, Sandra Moon. Marsha Slamovich won the match in real quick fashion. She was able to hit some strikes, but ultimately she hits a Northern Lights bomb on Sandra to win the match. Again, another fast-paced match. Um, after this, we had Deanna Peraza with Matthew Raywalt in her corner going against Mercedes Martinez. Mickey James was on commentary for this match, and this was a nice match between Deanna Peraza and Mercedes Martinez. Both of the ladies know how to work, so they were able to go and show off and give a good, decent match. Deanna wins the match by submission when she locks in, um, Mercedes' arm for her arm bar and then locks in her other arm, making it a double arm bar and stretching it out, and Mercedes has the tap. After the match, Mickey leaves the commentary table, goes over to Mercedes to check in on her. Then she goes into the ring and walks over to Deanna Perrazzo, and now Deanna and Mickey are almost nose-to-nose, but Matt has to put his arm in between them because they can't touch each other before the pay-per-view because if either woman touches each other, they will be suspended because they're supposed to go against each other in a Texas death match at Hard to Kill for the Knockouts Championship. So, that's what Matthew was trying to save. After this, tag team match. Ace Austin and Madman Fulton going against Hernandez and Johnny Swinger. This was a filler match. Ace Austin and Madman wins the match by pitfall when Madman was able to hit his swinging version of the end of days on Hernandez. And then Madman will drop to his knees as Ace Austin ran and jumped onto Madman's back. And then hits a big body splash onto Hernandez. Madman then covers Hernandez for the win. After the match, Madman goes outside to grab a steel chair. Johnny Swinger yells at Madman and tells him that he doesn't need a steel chair. Fulton turns over and looks at Swinger and starts walking towards Swinger, and Swinger starts walking away from Fulton. Fulton then throws the chair into the ring, and he then goes underneath the ring to grab another steel chair. Ace Austin puts Hernandez's arm in one of the chairs, and then he grabs the other arm, you got Fulton holding Hernandez's arm, waiting for Ace to hit Hernandez's arm. And Ace ultimately does hit Hernandez's arm, but he hits the steel chair on top of the other steel chair that's placed, uh, that Hernandez's arm is, like, placed inside. So, basically, it gives you the illusion that he, like, brutalized Hernandez's arm. All this is happening while Johnny Swinger is walking away from Hernandez, by the way. And Hernandez is supposed to be Johnny Swinger's, like, muscle and, like, his friend. But, as you can tell, Johnny Swinger doesn't need Hernandez, and he wasn't really ever Hernandez's friend. After this, it's time for the main event. Carl Anderson with Violence by Design and Doc Gallows in his corner, going against Heath with Rhino, Rich Swan, Willie Mack, and Eddie Edwards in his corner, where the winner of this match gets the advantage for their upcoming match at Hard to Kill in a Hardcore War. A Hardcore War is basically another version of War Games, just this time without a steel, without um the steel cage around them. It'll be one man from each team going against each other, and every five minutes, the first time, a person will come out. So after that, I believe is another three minutes after that. So after the clock, 
another man will keep coming out and coming out and coming out until all of them come out. It's basically a hardcore version of this. Uh, within the first minute of the match, however, Doc Gallows grabs Heath's legs, which prompts Heath's team to go after Doc, and then the rest of the Violet by Design team goes over to rescue Doc and make sure nobody tries to get at Doc Gallows. So now you got both teams standing off against one another. The referee for this match goes outside the ring to separate the two teams, and then other referees from the backstage area come out to separate them, and then the referee, the official ref for this match, decides to throw out both teams so this match could be a singles one-on-one match between Carl Anderson and Heath. When the match, when that actually does happen, they have a nice little solid back and forth to main event impact, but Carl Anderson does win the match by pinfall when Heath runs into the corner where Carl was at and Carl moves out of the way and Heath runs his shoulder into the ring post and then as soon as he turns around, Carl hits Heath with a gun stun, aka a RKO or a cutter, for the win. After the match, you see Doc Gallus come down to the ring and he starts stomping on Heath. And then you start seeing the rest of the Violence by Design members come down and start beating up on Heath. And then you see Heath's team of Rhino, Eddie Edwards, Willie Mack, and Rich Wong come down to even out the numbers. And this ends in a big old brawl to end Impact Wrestling. Again, Impact Wrestling has a pay-per-view tonight, Hard to Kill. And other things that happened on the this episode were also Moose, Matt, Cardona and W. Morrissey talking about how they'll go into Hard to Kill and they're going to walk out as Impact Champion because that's the main event of Hard to Kill, a triple threat match. And with that, that is your Impact Wrestling wrestling highlights of the week. Now it's time for SmackDown, but before SmackDown starts, I want to announce that Sheamus did announce on SmackDown that he will be participating in the Royal Rumble. Now when SmackDown starts, Roman Reigns comes out and he doesn't come out with nobody. He's just Roman Reigns by himself. He has no special counsel. He has no cousins right beside him. It's nothing but Roman Reigns himself, the tribal chief. He's here and he gets in the ring and he says that he's been gone for one week and everything has come to shambles. Roman says that while in isolation, he had time to think and he mentions that while he was in isolation, he started thinking about things that he wanted to say and people that he wanted to see and people that he didn't want to see. He mentioned there's two people in particular that he never wants to see again, and he names Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. Now, you know, in wrestling, as soon as you name somebody's name out of your mouth, they immediately come out, and that's exactly what happens. Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman come down to the ring. Once they get in the ring, Paul has a microphone and he's about to do his usual shtick and opening up, saying that he's the advocate for Brock Lesnar and doing the whole Brock Lesnar shtick, but Brock cuts him off directly immediately. He grabs the mic from Paul and he walks into Roman's face and he does Paul's shtick. Brock introduces himself as the reigning, defending, undisputed WWE world champion Brock Lesnar. Then he tells Roman to acknowledge him. He tells Roman that at day one, Roman got what he wanted, which was still being a universal champion. Brock said that he got what he wanted, which was become a champion, the WWE champion. And he says, now let's give the people what they want. A title versus title match. You versus me. Roman tells Brock that that idea sounds good, but that isn't his idea. And this is Roman's show, and we do things on his time. And he doesn't do business with people that work with trashy people like Paul Heyman. Paul gets on the mic and he looks at Roman and he asks him, how could you say that? 
Paul talks about how Roman got the championship match in the first place, meaning dating back to SummerSlam. Well, technically the match, well, the pay-per-view at the SummerSlam at Payback in the Triple Threat. He says, how did you get that match in the first place? I got you that match. How have you been keeping that championship? I've been helping you keep that championship. And he starts telling Roman that he was protecting Roman from Brock. And he says, not that he thinks Brock could beat Roman for the belt, but because he loved Roman Reigns. And he starts going into this whole sorrow. You can feel the emotions from Paul as he's saying all this. And Brock looks at Paul and he asks Paul, what did he say? Brock then pushes up on Paul and tells Paul to just go in the corner and shut up. Roman sees this and he tells Brock that you can't tell him to shut up. Brock then goes and looks at Roman and tells him, what are you going to do about it? Paul sees this as things are getting intense. He goes in between them and he tells Brock not to talk to Roman like that. Paul is then looked at by Brock again and Brock tells Paul, didn't I tell you to shut up? Roman then takes this as an opportunity to sneak attack and hit Brock with a Superman punch, which he does so, and then he leaves the ring with his Universal Championship. Brock sees Roman start walking up the ramp, and he just has a smile on his face, so you can tell that Roman and Brock's business isn't done. After this, we see Sami Zayn in the back, and he's getting interviewed about his upcoming match with Rick Boogs, and Sammy talks about how he shouldn't be going against Rick Boogs tonight. It should be Shinsuke Nakamura for the Intercontinental Championship, but he says it's okay because I'm going to beat up Rick Boogs tonight, and then after that, I have a clear way to the Intercontinental Championship. Then he sees Johnny Knoxville in the distance, and he walks over to Johnny Knoxville, and he talks to Johnny and says that Johnny shouldn't be in the Royal Rumble. Johnny says, I'm going to be in the Royal Rumble, and I'm going to toss over as many superstars as I can. Sammy says, I'm a trained professional. This isn't for you. And as he's about to walk away, Johnny calls him an idiot. Sammy hears this, but he hears his entrance music going off, and then he has to decide whether he's going to go out to the ring or confront Johnny Knoxville. He looks at Knoxville one last time, and then he decides to go out to the ring. So now it's time for Sammy Zane going against Rick Boogs with Shinsuke Nakamura in Rick's corner. Rick Boogs wins the match by pinfall, uh, towards the end of the match, Sami Zayn got into Shinsuke Nakamura's face and talked about how the Intercontinental Championship is coming home to him soon. And once Sami got in the ring, uh, Rick pinned Sami with an inside cradle for the win. After the match, Rick got outside of the ring and he's standing next to Nakamura as Sami Zayn's looking at both of them. And from behind, Sami gets thrown over the top rope by Johnny Knoxville, who sneakily got in the ring. And... Then you hear the ring announcer announce that Johnny Knoxville has been invited, well, has been entered into the Royal Rumble, so it has now been official. Johnny Knoxville will be participating in the Royal Rumble. After this, now it's time for Charlotte Flair's in-ring promo. Charlotte mentions how people have New Year's resolutions, and she talks about her own New Year's resolution, and her New Year's resolution is to make history. And Charlotte then has a video playing of the women that will be participating in this year's Women's Royal Rumble. The participants so far are Rhea Ripley, Nikki A.S.H., Carmella, Queen Selena, the Bella Twins, Lita, Michelle McCool, Summer Rae, Naomi, Tamina, Natalia, Shotzi, Aaliyah, Shayna Baszler, Kelly Kelly, and the Impact Wrestling Knockouts Champion, Mickey James. After the video plays, Charlotte announced that she will be entering in the Rumble, and she wants to win the Rumble 
as champion, being the first champion to ever do so. Naomi then comes out and tells Charlotte that she doesn't have to wait to face somebody at WrestleMania for the championship. We could do this right here, right now. Charlotte tells Naomi that you were champion years ago, but what have you done lately to earn a championship match? Naomi waits a while. She says, well, I've done this, and she slaps Charlotte across the face. Charlotte is now in shock, and then she tries to attack Naomi, but Naomi ducks and sends Charlotte right out of the ring. So now we have our match between Naomi and Charlotte Flair. Uh, Charlotte ultimately ends up winning the match by pinfall, but um, there's some discrepancy. The first time the match was about to end was in countout when Naomi and Charlotte were fighting outside of the ring, and Naomi was able to get in the ring by the count of seven, and we knew Charlotte Flair was not going to be able to make the count back to the ring, but who other but Sonya Deville decides to come out and say that this match cannot end in a ring out. So the match continues, and we see Charlotte and Naomi continue to do battle in the ring, and then you see Charlotte lock in the figure four. Naomi gets to the bottom ropes, and as the referee was counting, and he was at the number four, again, we see Sonya Deville come out, and she announces that this match cannot end by disqualification. And she clarifies by saying, the only way this match can end is by pinfall or submission. So now this match is technically at its third trimester here. So... Naomi and Charlotte continue to battle. Charlotte ends up hitting the natural selection on Naomi to win the match. And that's it. It was a nice back and forth. This shows you that Naomi can hang with Charlotte Flair and that Naomi does deserve a championship opportunity and that she might even win the Royal Rumble in the end. We'll just have to see when that time comes. The biggest shocker was that Mickey James was announced and even Pat McAfee on commentary said the Impact Wrestling Knockout Champion Mickey James is coming to WWE and she has some unfinished business to settle. They acknowledged Impact Wrestling on WWE television and that is great because you know what? I want to see more wrestling uh, companies do business with each other. He could have not mentioned Mickey James, well, Impact Wrestling like WWE does, but Pat McAfee is a legit wrestling fan. He knows the insiders inside. He knows the little lingo that insiders use. So, for him to slip that in on commentary, I'm not sure if that was WWE approved. Matter of fact, it was WWE approved because when you go to the social media site, well, on Twitter, they even acknowledge uh, Impact Wrestling by saying Impact Wrestling's knockout champion, Mickey James, is coming to the Royal Rumble. So I'm just saying it's a great thing to see. Anyway, after this, we get a happy talk segment, and it's boring. I'm not even going to bore you with the details. They mimic and mock Drew McIntyre. They mock by taking Drew McIntyre out at day one. Uh, Corbin talks about how their attack didn't even stop Drew McIntyre, and he introduces Drew McIntyre to come out. Drew's music hits, but it's not Drew that comes out. It's Madcap Moss dressed up as Drew, wearing a neck brace and walking with a cane. They end up making fun of Drew McIntyre, and then the Viking Raiders come out to end this crap, and then we ultimately end up with a tag team match between uh, the Viking Raiders and Madcap Moss and Happy Corbin. Happy Corbin and Madcap win the match by pinfall when Madcap hits the punchline, which is a neckbreaker, on Eric for the win. And this is why your tag team division is in a shambles. You have a legitimate tag team like the Viking Raiders who were feared and dominant on the independence in Ring of Honor and New Japan and even in NXT. Matter of fact, they were unstoppable. They were undefeated in NXT. But then they go to the main roster and the main roster always somehow happens to chop the knees off the wrestlers that do great in NXT, and when they go to the main roster, they just kill them. 
Viking Raiders should be a dominant, brutal, destruction type of team, but we're not getting that. I don't know what's going to be left for them, to be honest with you. Let's just hope that WWE or somebody in management happens to fix this before <laughs> their tag team division really goes down by the drain because you can't always hedge your wagons to the New Day and the Usos to save your butts. You can't do that. You're going to get them ran and rugged and tired and make the fans get tired of seeing them, but we'll have to see what happens in the future. And speaking of the Usos and the New Day, that's the main event. The main event of SmackDown is a street fight for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, the Usos versus the New Day. But before the main event does happen, we see Adam Pearce go into Roman Reigns' locker room. Roman asks him what does he want. Adam tells Roman that he has to pick... Well, Adam tells Roman that he picked someone for Roman to face at the Royal Rumble since the WWE board needed somebody to face Roman at the Rumble. Adam Pearce told Roman that he has somebody for him to face. Roman tells Pierce that he doesn't care who it is because he has smashed everybody on the roster so he could pick whoever he wants. Roman then tells Pierce to leave so he can watch his cousins wrestle against the New Day in the main event. So that's where we're at now. The SmackDown Tag Team Championship match and a street fight, the Usos versus the New Day. The Usos win the match by pinfall when the Usos hit Kofi with the 1D, basically the 3D, but they renamed it the 1D, and it stands for one and done. Through a table, and Jimmy covers him for the win. This was a wild match to end off a wild week for WWE, if you're really going to be honest with you. First, we have day one, and then we get the WWE announcement that Brock will be going against Bobby Lashley at the Royal Rumble. We get Carmelo Hayes beating Roderick Strong to unify the Cruiserweight in the North American Championship. We get Braun Breaker to become the new NXT champion, and then now we have a challenger for Roman at the Royal Rumble because after this match, we see Roman in his locker room and he is a knocking at his door and he tells whoever it is to come in. We see a figure in the shadow standing next to Roman and you see Roman's face turn and he kind of hits like, a, oh my God. He gets up and then you see the camera pan over and you see the figure and it turns out to be none other than the revolutionary, he is the visionary, Seth freaking Rollins, the drip god himself. Seth Rollins looks into Roman's face and he starts laughing in Roman's face. And Roman now knows that at the Royal Rumble, he will be defending his Universal Championship against Seth Rollins. I can't wait to see this. Personally, this is what has been waiting, building up for technically last year when Seth was technically on the SmackDown roster and he was having problems with Jay and he told Roman to get Jay under control before he has to put Jay down. I remember that and they're going to play that back too. So I can't wait for this match of the Royal Rumble. I just know I don't want no shenanigans, meaning I don't want Brock Lesnar to interfere in this because somehow we're going to get Roman to still retain his belt. I see this happening. If not, that's going to be shocking to me. But I see Roman retaining his championship and Brock going after that belt and Brock probably losing to Bobby Lashley by nefarious means at the Royal Rumble. But we'll happen to see as they're building up to that when the time comes. Anyway, that is your SmackDown highlights of the week. Now on to AEW Dynamite. And they start off with Adam Cole going against Jake Atlas, the newly signed Jake Atlas. Adam Cole wins the match by submission when he locks in the heel hook on Jake and he taps out. Apparently, Jake Atlas 
happens to injure his leg towards the end of the match. That's why they had to call an audible and have Adam Cole lock in the heel hook on Jake Atlas. After this, we see Red Dragon come down to the ring to celebrate with Adam Cole. Adam Cole gets on the mic and congratulates Jake and tells him that he has earned another ass kicking. But before they can deliver the butt kicking, if you will, Orange Cassidy comes out with a chain and he starts wrapping it around his hand. Then Willie Uter and Chuck Taylor come out to follow behind Orange Cassidy. Once they enter the ring, Adam Cole and Red Dragon leave the ring and they start walking up the ramp as medical personnel is looking at Jake Atlas's leg. After this, we see Andrade in a backstage interview with Tony Schiavone. The whole main point of this is asking why Andrade came out last week after Darby Allen's match and allowed Darby to get beat up, basically. Andrade said that he needs another assistant and wants Darby to beat it, and he asked Tony how much is Sting paying Darby Allen. Tony tells Sting that Darby and Sting are friends. Sting doesn't employ Darby. Andrade looks into this camera and tells Sting to name his price because he wants to basically buy Darby Allen from him to be his assistant. This is going to be a weird looking like feud off rip because that promo just means that Andrade is basically a boss, like a boss boss. He can buy anybody that he wants. It's going to be weird because Darby's not the guy that you would think of to be your, uh, assistant, but hey, we're going to see how AEW flips this. After this, it's now time for another singles competition, and it's time for Hook to go against Aaron Solo with QT Marshall in his corner. This was another win for Hook whenever he locks in the red rum on Aaron Solo and makes him tap out, so Hook wins by submission. Hook looked great in this match. He took a lot more damage in this match than he did the past two matches, so they're trying to show you that Hook is... Uh, able to take pain and get beat up a little bit, but Aaron Solo's kind of still a lower tier guy, so Hook was able to still beat Aaron Solo, still in dominant fashion at the exact same time as well. Um, as the match is over, Hook hangs on to the submission a little bit longer before he does let go, and once he lets go, he tries to exit the ring, but QT Marshall like uh, grabs Hook and tries to tell him, what are you doing, what was that all about, and Hook doesn't pay him no attention. QT then grabs Hook's arm again. And this line, it looks like it's forcefully. And Hook looks at QT, and QT realizes, okay, he's in trouble. He starts backing away from Hook. And then he tries to get a sneak attack on Hook and try to punch him. But Hook catches the punch and transitions that into a sideways half-Nelson suplex on QT. And then he leaves the ring. Hook is a star in the making. He looks like a star. He walks like a star. His entrance is a star. Let's just be honest. Hook is literally one of their next guys that they just want to build up for another couple more months before you start seeing him in a title picture, whether it be TNT title or the tag team titles. I see them building up Hook as a like a single star, but I am not opposed to seeing him in a tag team with either Ricky Starks or Will Hobbs, to be honest with you. After this, we see a tag team match. Riho and Ruby Soho going against Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Riho and Ruby win the match by pinfall. When Jamie has Riho in a stalling suplex, but Riho was able to get out of that move. And Britt was going after Riho. And Jamie runs towards Riho, looking to hit her with a forearm, but Riho ducks out of the way. And Jamie ends up hitting Britt Baker in the face. While this miscommunication is happening and Jamie's looking shocked. Riho rolls up Jamie from behind to win the match. 
After the match, Britt Baker is pissed. She ain't trying to talk to Jamie. She pushes Jamie, and Rebel has to get in between the ladies to calm him down, and Britt Baker leaves the ring with the AEW Women's Championship, looking upset because she was trying to gain the upper hand on Riho before their match tonight at Battle for the Belts. After this, now it's time for the main event of AEW Rampages. Eddie Kingston and Proud and Powerful going against Daniel Garcia in 2.0 in a no-holds-barred street fight. Eddie and Proud and Powerful win the match by pinfall. Again, this was another main event match that ended in chaos. You had Raw that had a street fight element to it. You had SmackDown that had a legit street fight element to it. And you now you have on Rampage another street fight. This whole thing was chaotic. They started off in the back, and then they start fighting up to the front, basically in front of the crowd. You had trash cans, you had steel chairs, you had tables being broke. You had garbage uh, being poured onto people. I mean, this was completely everything that you would want out of a street fight. Everything just being completely chaotic, especially with the as much animosity as Eddie Kingston has for 2.0 and Daniel Garcia, and vice versa. This is everything that you would want in a street fight. Anyway, in the end, Proud and Powerful hit a series of moves on Jeff Parker, and Santana ends up hitting a discus clothesline onto Jeff Parker to pin him and win the match for his team. After the match, Daniel Garcia and Matt Lee got in the ring and started hitting low blows on Eddie Kingston and Proud and Powerful. Daniel Garcia then starts to get taped, and he starts taping up Eddie Kingston's arms across the top rope, and then you start seeing 2.0 with Daniel Garcia start attacking Eddie Kingston. As this is all going down, Chris Jericho's on commentary for the whole night. He leaves commentary team. He leaves the table and he starts running down to the ring to save Eddie Kingston and Proud and Powerful. Once Chris Jericho enters the ring, 2.0 and Daniel Garcia leave the ring and start walking up the ramp. And Eddie Kingston frees himself from the tape that is basically bounding his arms. Uh, that is the end of AEW Rampage, and that's the end of your AEW Rampage highlights of the week. Battle of the Belts is tonight, and the three matches that are on there are Britt Baker going against Riho for the AEW Women's Championship. I think Britt Baker's going to win this. They're not going to give that belt to Riho tonight. I think they're going to have a great match. This will be Britt Baker's first ever win over Riho. Um, we have Ricky Starks going against Matt Seidel. That was announced on AEW Rampage. Ricky Starks is beating Matt Seidel to retain the FCW Championship. I mean, there's no more need to be said here. And then we get... <laughs> we get a substitution here. It was announced on AEW Rampage that Cody Rhodes has to be sidelined for a medical protocol, which basically means... He probably got in contact with somebody with COVID, so he can't be there. So that's what they mean by medical protocol. So on Battle of the Belts tonight, it will be Dustin going against Sammy Guevara for the interim TNT Championship. I tweeted out that if Dustin wins and we get another Rhodes versus Rhodes match, because we haven't seen that since the first Double or Nothing pay-per-view of AEW's history, I would be fine with that. Because why not? Why not give Sammy and Cody a little breathing room from each other? But if that doesn't happen, we get Sammy going against Dust, not Dustin, but Cody for the unified championship. I ain't got no problem with that either. Because I know both matches are going to be great. Because I know the type of caliber of match that Sammy and Cody can put on. We know this because we saw that on Christmas edition of AEW Rampage. 
And we know the type of match that Cody and Dustin can put on, because if you saw the first ever uh, Double or Nothing pay-per-view, especially that match particularly, you know the type of match they can put on. A classic match that will make people feel good, to make people want to see wrestling, like old-school professional wrestling, not always the flippy-dippy stuff that we see from certain professional wrestlers. Cody and Dustin are going to be able to provide you with that old-school classic feel of professional wrestling. So either way, I'm not mad at it. Personally, I would like to see Dustin win so we can see Cody versus Dustin again. But again, if Sammy wins, I'm cool with that too. And those are the three matches that are happening at Battle for the Belts. Now it's time for my predictions for Impact Wrestling's Hard to Kill. In their Hardcore War 10-man tag of Violence by Designs and the Good Brothers going against Eddie Edwards, Heath, Rhino, Rich Swan, and Willie Mack. I see Eddie Edwards, Heath, Rhino, Rich Swan, and Willie Mack winning because I don't see the Good Brothers and Violence by Design really like working together as a team. They're both two bad guy teams. They're both going to be all about ego. So I see Eddie Edwards, Heath, Rhino, Rich Swan, and Willie Mack winning this matchup. The Ring of Honor World Championship will be defended. Jonathan Gresham, the champion, going against Chris Saban. Jonathan Gresham is going to retain his championship. I see this being a nice fought match between the two. Um, Ring of Honor is supposed to be coming back in about beginning early of April, probably late March, around WrestleMania time, literally that week. So I want to see Ring of Honor. Like, I can tell that Ring of Honor is going to have like some little deal already on the side with Jonathan Gresham deferring to still like remain Ring of Honor champion. So Ring of Honor is going to have Jonathan Gresham still retain and still be champion until they have their like official re- opening back, opening up session, opening of business again. Uh, Impact Knockouts Tag Team Championship match. The Inspiration going against the Influence. I see the Inspiration winning. They came in at Bound for Glory. they only been here for what? Two months? Three months tops? Yeah, they're not dropping the belt to Influence. It's not happening. Impact Wrestling uh, X Division Championship. Trey Miguel going against Steve Macklin with the condition that this is Steve Macklin's legit last time going against Trey Miguel for the X Division Championship. It's do or die for him. I see Steve Macklin winning this by nefarious means, and we're going to get a new X Division champion. An Ultimate X Knockouts uh, match where the winner will become the number one contender for the Knockouts Championship with Rosemary, Jordan Grace, Chelsea Green, Rachel Ellering, Tasha Steeles, and Lady Frost. This type of match more deals with high flyers, and everybody in this match technically has some type of expertise already, not in high-flying, but, like, the Impact Wrestling fans know who they are. Rosemary, people know who they she is in Impact. Jordan Grace, she's the digital media champion for Impact. People know who she is. Chelsea Green, she everybody knows who she is. She was a former Laurel Valness, and also she is the fiancé of Matt Cardona. She is, she, I don't see her winning this. Not personally, not yet. Uh, Rachel Ellering, I'm sorry, I don't see her winning. Tasha Steeles, I would like to see her win, to be honest with you. But I don't see them going in that direction with Tasha Steeles. Lady Frost, she's athletic. And she's the hot new upcomer that people probably want, that Impact probably want to push out there so everybody can know exactly who Lady Frost truly is. So she can get a lot more airtime and probably more mic time. I see her winning this. Josh Alexander going against Jonah. Jonah is winning. This is going to be his first match on pay-per-view for Impact. 
Josh Alexander can take a loss, especially when he's not coming in as like 100%. I can see him losing. So that is the reason why I'm going with Jonah. In the main event, our triple threat impact world title match between Moose, Matt Cardona, and W. Morrissey. I'm going to have Moose retaining the championship. I don't see them putting it on Matt yet. If they put it on Matt, I'll be happy because Matt Cardona deserves to be a world champion somewhere in the mainstream because he's been out here on the independents putting on like other independent shows, making people want to go to other independent shows, especially the promotion GCW. A lot of people didn't know about GCW until he came up in there and destroyed Nick Gage in a death match. Well, Nick Gage basically destroyed him, but he was actually able to brutalize and do some damage to Nick Gage in the process in a death match and go through panes of glass and take light tubes and basically bleed and do the other things that WWE wrestlers don't do whenever they get released. They don't immediately go into death matches. Matt Cardona didn't immediately go into it, but he really didn't just like baby toe it. No, he jumped completely headfirst into the water of deathmatch with Nick Gage. And I believe to this day, that's like his only deathmatch that he ever has done. So with that, I think Moose is going to win, but I will have no problem with them giving it to Matt. So Matt can still go to independence and carry that Impact Wrestling Championship around and be the face of Impact Wrestling. I have no problem with it. So if either if Moose or uh, Matt Cardona win, I have no problem. W. Morrissey, I have no problem with too. Don't make me just, I'm not trying to make it sound like I don't, like, I don't have a problem with those two winning, but I have a problem with W. Morrissey. I have no problem with Morrissey winning either, but I just don't see it in the cards for Impact to give the title to Morrissey yet. I don't see it. That's just me. But again, I could be wrong. But again, I'm picking Moose to win it, but my second option is literally Matt Cardona. And that's my predictions for Impact Wrestling's hard-to-kill pay-per-view. Oh yeah, I forgot. Mickey James going against Deanna Perrazzo for the... Knockouts World Championship in a Texas death match. I have Mickey James winning this now, especially since he's been added to the WWE Women's Royal Rumble match. And also since they announced that the Knockouts champion will be at Royal Rumble. So with that kind of already being in the whole canon for WWE, I can see Impact rolling with that. And what other type of exposure what other big exposure would you need than your world women's world champion being in the number one wrestling company in the world, uh, biggest match of the year, the Royal Rumble? Why not have your champion in there? So I'm going to say Mickey James, if she wasn't involved in the Royal Rumble and this deal didn't happen, I was going to go with Deanna Peraza. I was, truly. But once I saw Mickey James in the Royal Rumble, that sealed the deal for me. Mickey is winning at Hard to Kill. And with that, that's all my predictions for Hard to Kill and Battle of the Belts. You will get those results from me next week, next Saturday, on next week's edition of Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Um, let me get you guys out of here. My social media links where you can find me at on Twitter, you can find me at, at my two podcasts. Instagram, my two cents podcast G2. Yahoo, my email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. Again, my two cents pod at yahoo.com. You can email me about anything you want. My email is always open. I want to thank Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, Amazon Music, and Audible for allowing me to still say 
uh, what I want to say, allow me to do what I want to do. I want to thank you for that. And with that, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by G2. This isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again. I want you guys to check out my Sunday episode. If you happen to check it out, that's great. If you don't, hey, you'll hear from me next Saturday where you hear from uh, me talking about Wrestling Highlights of the Week next week. But with that, this has been my Two Cents Podcast, Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by G2. I love you all. Thank you. Have a great Saturday. Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.